Rubin and this is the Rubin Report. Joining me today is a best-selling author, co-star of the wonderful documentary No Safe Spaces and host of the Adam Carolla Show podcast. Adam Carolla, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Always good to be back, Dave. All right, Carolla, we got a lot to do here because this is my last interview of 2020. And we said, who can we get on the show to end the year that is not completely fucking bananas, and you were on the short list. There were only about two other people, and we couldn't get them, so we got you. You're on the short list of Dave Rubin's sane people. How does that make you feel? You know, when I write my next autobiography, it's gonna be titled, From the Short Bus to the Short List, the Adam Carolla story. Nice to be on the short list. Yes, you you have done it, my friend. All right, first off, I got to ask you something because there is a rumor going around town. My guys, my team, seem to believe this rumor that you're moving to Texas. Now, when I talk about short lists, on my short list of L.A. people, I got Adam Carolla, I got Dennis Prager, I got Larry Elder, John Voigt. That's it. Are you are you leaving us? You're going to Houston? No, not just yet. I did a hit on Tucker Carlson, uh, I guess last week, and they brought the van to my house. And uh, Tucker always does the, when you leave in LA. Yeah. And I think he, he grew up in, I think LA and San Diego. So a lot of the guys and uh, him and Shapiro are the two, when you leave in LA guys, because they were in LA and they, they left and I've always been in LA. So just off the cuff, because we're in this van that was a satellite van, I just, as an Im improvisational comedian, I just said, oh, Tucker, as soon as this hits over, I'm going to commandeer this van and I'm driving to Houston. And for some reason, that didn't come across as a joke to a lot of people. But you should have seen that it was a joke, people, because... I. If I, if I was going to Houston, I would certainly do it on a Southwest flight. I don't think I'd commandeer <laughs> you, you, you a $250,000 satellite van. You wouldn't take the satellite van from Fox News and drive that all the way to Texas. You'd, you'd do it first class on Southwest. I get it. I feel like just from a mileage standpoint, <laughs> it would cost much more to take that satellite van. All right. So I'm glad to hear it. Sounds like you're staying for a little bit, but... I did have you over for dinner a couple months ago, and you said you were on a three-year plan, and we're watching Cali just fall apart. I'm a, I'm a native New Yorker, but I've been here seven years. You're, you're from SoCal, man. What the high hell is going on here? Yeah, my kids are just getting into high school, if you want to call it getting into high school, because I walked into both their bedrooms this morning, and they're both laying in bed with their covers over them. And I went, hey, I thought it was school time. And they're like, hey, we're on the Zoom class from underneath a, a comforter. Um, you know, what's happened to L.A., it, it kind of, I, I always thought of L.A., and, and, and even California for sure, as kind of that hot blonde from high school that was always the bell of the ball, didn't have to study very hard, phone rang every Friday night for a date, really was able to kind of get by in her looks and kind of cruise. And now that blonde is 47 years old <laughs> and not the bell of the ball anymore. And, you know, if you listen to Gavin Newsom, that guy, I've heard interviews with him going, hey, man, where are you going to go? It's like, it's like the 47-year-old blonde 
saying to the the football star, hey, don't you want some of this? And it's like, no, no, I I can find some of that in Texas or Arizona or Nevada or Nashville, Tennessee or whatever. But there's a kind of a thing where it's like when you're used to being the bell of the ball, you don't study that hard. You don't try that hard. I mean, California was always like, we got the beaches, we got the mountains, we got uh, all, we got Disneyland, we got all this great stuff. So it's like, well, what about how hospitable you are to business? Well, don't worry about that. We got Malibu. Right. And what they didn't really factor on, I mean, there's a few things. First off, smart people don't want to just hang out and be essentially abused by their government. Mm-hmm. That's That's number one. Number two, there's a part of it that's just practical. Like, I grew up out here. My parents, my mom had a VW Squareback. She had like a 70s VW station wagon. My dad drove a VW Bug. Forget about driving to Arizona. We couldn't get to Van Nuys from North Hollywood without the thing (laughs) vapor locking. And like I talked to a friend of mine, uh, Dickie from the Boston's, the lead singer from the band, the Boston's. And he was like, yeah, I moved to Arizona. I'm like, oh, so you got to go. He's like, I, the drive's not bad. I got a great car. It's, it's, it's got white, you know, it's, it's got Sirius XM and a, and a, a heater in the seat. And it's like, it's, it's not that big. deal. like physically the transportation, you know, the, the 10 flights a day that are going from uh, Burbank to Phoenix mm-hmm. or jet sweet X, you know, like you can get to Salt Lake city in uh, 55 minutes. Like, there's a, there's a kind of tangible mechanical part of this, which is when I was a kid, if you wanted to move, like buying a ticket on an airline was a big deal, mm-hmm. like packing mm-hmm. up a rider truck again, physically didn't have cars that could make it, you know, it's, it's all kind of doable now. So, so what do you think the future of this town is? I think you probably have a couple Hollywood friends that still talk to you. I've got one or two that would not be happy if I mentioned their name. Um, but do you think that this town is just now condemned between Garcetti at the, at the city level and Newsom at the state level? Do you think we are just truly condemned and now Gascon, this new DA, who's not gonna arrest people for prostitution or resisting arrest or a series of other things? Like, how much worse can it get, do you think? Well, maybe just a little bit, and then maybe it's time, like, you know, like a horrible alcoholic. Maybe this is the... I've stolen my kid's piggy bank. I'm going to break it open to buy some malt liquor. And I now catch a glance of myself in the mirror and I've hit rock bottom. Like maybe that see you in the mirror thing. Maybe we're there. I was thinking about Gaston. It's like loitering is not going to be a problem. Trespassing, not going to be a problem. Underage drinking is not going to be a problem. Prostitution is not going to be a problem. And I thought, where the fuck was this guy when I was in high school? <laughs> I could have really used this DA when I was in high school. Not only that, you can steal up to $900. That's what they're telling you. you can steal, so you could steal a PlayStation 5 and like seven games, but you go into the eight game range, now you're in trouble. Yeah, it, it, it all seems like a very eerie harbinger, but I hear you, you brought up Hollywood, like our Hollywood friends. Um, If you think about this, uh, Los Angeles, Hollywood, LA, always been the sort of hub of production, right? And everything was filmed. Everything, every TV show anyone ever saw around the world 
was filmed in, you know, Burbank or Culver City or uh, somewhere in Hollywood. I mean, I've been on all those, all the, I've been all the stages. I've been all the lots. I used to be at Hollywood Center Studios doing the man show and, and we did crank anchors there. I did Love Line there. And at a certain point, they started getting greedy. They started over-regulating. They started over-taxing. And so what did the most liberal people on the planet do? They started drifting into Atlanta. They started going to Canada, started going to Prague. I mean, they literally just left. So it was called runaway production. And at some point, some semi-sober person thought, we can't just have all of this money just physically leaving the state. And they course corrected a little bit. They were like, well, why don't we offer some incentives for these businesses, Hollywood, not to leave the state to do all as, as I've probably told your audience, um, I drove from this studio where I am sitting right now. Uh, Brian Cranston came in and did the show. Brian's a good guy. He's probably one of the more liberal guys in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he said, like, I got to catch an Uber to Burbank, to the Burbank airport. And I said, I'll drive it to the Burbank airport. It's four miles away. Then we jumped in my car. And while we were driving there, he was explaining that Breaking Bad was supposed to be filmed out here. But, of course, they're going to New Mexico to film. And, of course, they lost all that money and all the tourism dollars and all that kind of stuff. So at some point, they kind of wised up. And they said, let's give some incentives for these guys to stay. And I got to believe at some point they're going to try to do that with business. Mm -hmm. You got to believe it. And yet, and yet, I gotta believe and yet we're in the lockdown capital of the world. I mean, you're also one of the, the few guys, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to do it too, but there aren't that many public people in Cali that are really publicly fighting the lockdowns and trying to get people back to work. Your whole, your whole sort of public existence is, is sort of based around the value of work and, and your story about work. And you like, it. you like people that work, basically. You see value in work. What do you, what's your take on just nobody's working? I mean, we got companies with people working, thankfully, but a lot of people aren't working. You know, I think the, the problem, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a leftist Democrat sort of mindset, which is, why do you work? And the answer is to get money, to buy food, to take care of your family, to pay rent. Okay. Well, what if we just paid your rent and gave you food? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that would seem to handle the problem mathematically at first glance, but you're forgetting about a super important part of work, which is self-worth and pride and self-esteem and the depression that kicks in and all that once you get on the dole. So their thing is, they have this bizarre approach to reverse engineer everything. Like, hey, if, if if a lot of young black teens are being suspended from schools, then stop suspending yeah, young black yeah. teens. It's like, okay, that's not gonna fix anything. If 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 homelessness is illegal, then don't make it illegal anymore. Like this in <laughs> Gaston is that way too. Right. It's like hey, the prisons are overcrowded. How do we fix that? Let everyone out of prison. Well, that obviously doesn't fix, you know, the 75% of the kids can't do uh, math at grade level. Well, then lower the test scores. It's like, okay, your car's not going fast enough. Well, then bust the glass of the speedometer and take your finger and turn the needle up to 80 miles an hour. You're still going 23 miles an Why hour. Why is it, though? I think I've asked you this 
publicly on the show last time, and I know we've talked about it privately. Why is it, though, that so many people cannot make the jump from the stupid decisions to their involvement in the stupid decisions? That no matter how many times they vote in people and policies that make everything worse. Like, right now, if you and I walked out of the, our studios and we just started talking to people on the street, and you said to people, how's it going in LA? Everybody would say, man, it's a freaking mess. Or if you said, how's Gavin Newsom doing? They'd all say, horrible. No, there's nobody defending these people at the, you know, I get, there's the rabid sort of crazies, but pretty much nobody else. But why is it? And is it, is it just because of the weather? It has fried all of our brains, basically. It's nice out, so people cannot realize that the, the stupid, easy answers aren't the actual answers. I've been saying for a number of years that all roads lead to narcissism. And for the people I know who vote that way, they voted that way. And they want to kind of will themselves yeah. to be correct. Cause his ostensibly what you're saying is, is you're a Democrat. Yes. You vote Democrat. Yes. Then you're responsible for Gavin Newsom and Garcetti. Yes. Well then you're wrong. <laughs> the next thing you can say is you're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. And these are people that hate being wrong. They have huge egos and they never want to be wrong. So it's like a kind of a cognitive dissonance. It's kind of like, yeah, I voted for that guy and yeah, he's doing a horrible job, but I'm going to vote for that party again because I'll, I, that way I'll never have to admit I was wrong, but you are wrong because they're running the state into the ocean. The state has no money. There's homeless people everywhere, drug addicts. Our education's horrible. Do you think maybe we should try voting for somebody else? Did, did you see when, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Bill Maher had Adam Schiff on. And Mars complaining. Mars going, oh, all of my friends are leaving LA because of high taxes and blah, blah, blah. And Schiff's like, oh, well, we're the business-friendly party. And it's meaningless what he's saying, of course. But I wanted to kind of smack Bill Maher through the TV and be like, what are you talking about? You are the one that's supporting all of these people. And then all your friends leave and you yeah. wonder why you're alone. Well, sometimes they don't even say we're the party of, they just go, well, people are leaving because of over-regulation and high taxes and a bad business environment. It's like, yes, they're leaving because of all the policies you enacted. Those are your policies. That's why they're leaving. Yeah, they, they seem to be unable to make that, that jump. Lockdowns, I know you're not happy. You're as pissed as I am. You're, you're tweeting about it all the time. Do you think there's any, like on the science level, do you just think there's any science behind any of this at this point? There, I mean, again, right now we could both walk out, we live about 20 minutes away from each other, but we could walk outside of our houses. It's a beautiful day as it always is. We cannot sit outside and have a coffee because of lockdowns. Yeah, at a place where you purchase a yeah, coffee. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think you could, we could probably go up to your roof deck yeah, and you're enjoy always a welcome on together. My roof deck. <laughs> um, Actually, I, well, you are welcome on my roof deck, but according to Garcetti, you're not supposed to be on my roof deck. Oh, right. Well, a lot of it is, you know, most of it is the crops are dying. We need a virgin to throw in the volcano. And someone goes, how's that going to help the crops? And they go, you shut up. I got to do something. The villagers are upset. They want action. I mean, whoever the, the uh, health minister or, or czar, whatever of Los Angeles, as much as admitted it. It's like I said, outdoor dining isn't dangerous. We don't have any data to support it's dangerous, but we want people to stay home. They literally said and that. You're some, not making that up. That is what yeah. the guy said. Yeah. Well, first things first, do you get to decide who stays home? That's your job. Your job is I will decide 
when you get to leave your house. And even if it's for spurious reasons and there is no direct correlation between any danger of spreading the disease and eating outdoors, I'm still just going to make this random decision and you shall stay home. I mean, it's a very, it's funny. It's a, it's a comment that kind of slid by a lot of people, but it's, it's a very scary precedent when the powers that be are essentially saying you're going to stay home because I told you to stay home. And then you go, give me proof why I should stay home. And they go, I don't have to give you proof. I told you to stay home. But are you shocked how quickly we all became sheep? I mean, everybody, everybody. Well, what, what, what I realize what, what has happened is California, especially Los Angeles, especially it's so overregulated. It's so burdensome. It's so, it's so tyrannical and it's, it's leaders are so tyrannical in terms of its burden that they put on the taxpayers that we all got sort of indoctrinated into this slowly. Like imagine trying to pull this shit off in 1955, right? People just be like, uh, no, I'm not staying home. Nope. And by the way, I'm, I'm, by the way, when I leave my house, I'm taking my gun in case one of you assholes try to try to arrest me. Like that's where we would be at, but it was a slow, quiet indoctrination of, I mean, think about what you can't do. Here's what you can't do. Here's what you must do. Here's all the things, you know, you, you can't smoke in a restaurant. Okay, well, I'll go to the smoking. No smoking. Oh, then I'll go to the bar. No, no smoking at the bar. Well, then I'll go to the patio. No smoking at the patio. Like, it's such a crazy um, Stockholm syndrome that everyone lives. Everyone who lives in California has a kind of a Stockholm syndrome. Like, I would say, I say all the time, hey, your business, your restaurant, there's no reason why you need to shut down your outdoor dining. You've made a lot of concessions. You spent a lot of money. Just F these guys. Stay open. And everyone's like, uh, I don't want to get into trouble. Well, that's what the overregulation has created. This 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 huge sort of umbrella, always, you know, under the guise of safety. And everyone is just scared, but but slowly scared. Like, just think about, think about, you know what? Think about the beach. I always talk about the beach, but think about the beach. Like imagine telling someone from the fifties in Malibu, Hey, hey, you can't have that cigarette on the beach. What are you doing? I'm drinking a beer. You can't drink a beer on the beach. I mean, you look at the sign. I always tell everyone, look at the sign at the beach. Uh, in the fifties, they didn't have a sign. At some point it was like no bonfires between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. You know what I mean? Now it's like no Frisbee, no, no dogs, uh, no football, no cigarettes, no. Literally no, no humans, no humans. Like, like literally, yeah, no humans yeah. on the beach. I mean, think about what, think about how they ratchet it up. Think about how the sign gets longer. They always add something to the sign. They never remove something from the beach sign. Every year, there's two more things you can't do on the beach. And when you go physically look at those signs now, it is a, a scroll of things citizens can't do on our beach. So w what do you think that is as a, uh, as a student of the human mind, as I consider you, what do you think that thing is when you say they, meaning they always make the list longer? I mean, when you say they, you, you, in essence, you mean us, right? Like what, what is wrong with us? I'm starting to come around to that, that there is just something wrong with the collective us. That's why I don't like collectives. That we are just gonna not only do this to ourselves, 
uh, but we're going to pat ourselves on the back as we do it. Well, as our friend Dennis Prager always says, you know, we, we mistakenly think people yearn to be free, but they really yearn to be taken care of. They would trade freedom for security any day of the week. So if you yearn to be taken care of, then you want more of this government. And if you yearn to be free, you want less of this government and the freedom thing kind of it's, it's like when we try to liberate some Middle Eastern nation like come on they want to be free no they don't they don't want to be free they want to be led oh, God we got we got freaking work to do man we've got real work to do so what what, what would you do if if Corolla I've been you know promoting this uh, Corolla for governor thing because I jokingly said it on Fox or on something and now I was in DC last week and literally everybody was asking me when I'm running for governor I'd much rather have Adam Corolla do it. Uh, but what would you do if you, if you were governor, if you were mayor, like you open us up, are we, are we open tomorrow? I would say let, let's follow the science as, as they say, if, if it seems first things first, show me all the countries, show me all the States, show me all the cities that lock down hard. And then I want to find out what happened four months later, well, like, were were they locked down hard and now they're having a huge spike? What 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 are the difference between you know Sweden and Florida and New York and California? Like I, first things first, I want to know what locking down even does. It does nothing. I know. I mean, I, I think we know that at this point. Like California, we live in a state where we've been in perpetual lockdown, right? Some level of serious lockdown, and you know this. Everywhere you go, people are wearing masks. So we've been doing that since March, eight nine months already. Florida's open, so shouldn't Florida have at least double the numbers as us, triple the numbers, exponentially higher? But no, they don't. So like, isn't, you know, yeah. I'm not a scientist. And and they have uh, the second most uh, yeah. elderly people, well, the first in numbers, but the second percentage of elderly people as well. So first things first, if this isn't doing it, if locking down isn't doing it, then we're not gonna lock down. That's uh, number one. Number two, as far as like businesses go, you want to go to a hair salon, go to a hair salon. If you don't feel safe going to a hair salon, then don't go to the hair salon. If you don't feel safe going inside a restaurant, then don't go. We're not making people go out to dinner for those who may be compromised or maybe living with an elderly person or whatever that is. I like when this whole goddamn thing started, it was presumed that everyone lived with their grandmother. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, according to CNN, 87% of Americans lived with a 90 year old. Yeah. Like I would always go, let my kids just go back to school. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. And I'd go there. It doesn't affect the kids. They don't. Oh yeah. But what about that gaggle of super old people that are in your house? that we were unaware of before the pandemic. And it's like, I don't know how many people in California live with their elderly parents. And if in fact you are a loser and you live with your elderly parents, then you should make the decision not to go to the salon. But I know you mean that some good people live with their elderly parents because they're taking yeah. care of them. No, nobody, it's, it's all to get the inheritance basically. Yes, <laughs> mm -hmm. all right. Let's talk about the election a little bit. I'm just giving you like the whole landscape of all the craziness of the world. The election, where are you at at this point? Apparently Joe Biden is the president elect. I, I don't think uh, you voted for Joe Biden, did you? Did, did you officially announce no. who you voted for? I know where, where you're at politically, but did you actually say it on your show? No, but uh, I would definitely vote for Trump over, over Biden. Yeah. Um, 
the 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 interesting take on it, which isn't you know insanely impressive in terms of the math, but uh, it, sort of what Ben Shapiro has always been talking about for the last several weeks, which is it's not that the election was rigged per se by the states or the vote counters or mail-in ballots. It's that it was essentially rigged by CNN, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, most all legacy and mainstream media, and then big tech, you know, all the Googles and the and, and Twitter and all that, all that. It was rigged by them, essentially. And if you really think about it, it's not much hyperbole. I mean, if you think about just the Hunter Biden story as an example, and you go, okay, and, and forget it's Hunter Biden and forget what the allegations are and forget anything. Let's just be generic. There is a story. It's a credible story. And it would hurt one candidate. And I don't know if that means three points or seven points, or I don't know what it would translate mm -hmm. into, but it would definitely be damaging to one of the candidates. So in our, in our hypothetical world, there's a candidate and B candidate and B candidate would definitely be hurt by a story that comes out several days before the big election. And uh, then all the legacy news organizations and then and then all Silicon Valley, they all conspire to crush a story and are saying things like Russian disinformation mm -hmm. or there's no proof whatsoever. So that story never comes out. Well, I would argue that that is tampering with the election. Mm -hmm. It's certainly affecting the election. I mean, I guess if you say. What's the definition of tampering with an election? I guess the definition would be affecting the election one way or the other for this candidate or that candidate. So they're all on board to do this. They always do this thing. It's funny when the smartest people in the world, the Silicon Valley guys go, oh, yeah, we didn't know what was going on with that thing. We, we made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. It's like, We're going to get better processes. We should have looked at that before. Right. You didn't know, huh? And, and by the way, it's pretty simple. Uh, they found a laptop, had a bunch of information on it. Might you have some follow-up questions or we just announced that's Russian disinformation. So you had a whole group of people. And when I say a group, I mean, most 90% of the media yeah. essentially running interference for one of the candidates and, and all the way through just, you know, the COVID vaccines never going to come out before the end of the year, et cetera, on every single story. Uh, yeah, that's going to translate into a few points. And that is, that is the tampering. Do you think there's anything left at this point in terms of mainstream media? Like I think if, if my one takeaway probably of the year beyond lockdowns and the way we give up freedoms and all that. But like my one sort of tangible takeaway is that there is simply nothing left in mainstream media. That doesn't mean that 100% of reporters are all bullshit artists, but I think the way they treated the Hunter Biden story, then the way we were immediately told not to look at anything related to election fraud, and if we did, we're, we're basically Alex Jones and everything else. Like to me, there's nothing left. You, talk, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, like it's just done. Am I, am I over the top? Well, there's something left, but the question is, is 
what did they do to their brand? So if you think about, think about what the Oscars means in 2021 versus the Oscars from our childhood, Mm -hmm. it was first off, it was appointment viewing, get the whole family, see who the best picture of the year, who got the, and the best picture of the year got, that was the best picture of the year. You know, I mean, we didn't argue about it and we didn't think there was any politics involved and it just was, Mm -hmm. you know, and by the way, you know, when you look at the ratings for these shows, you realize it ain't what it used to be by, by a long shot. And, and I'll give you a couple examples. So think about the Oscars, think about the Emmys, think, think about, how I did a little experiment around here. I have young people who work for me. I said, uh, if you heard a story out of CNN five years ago, what would you have thought? And they went, I would have believed it. And I'd say, what do you think now? And they go, eh, I'd have to go look into it. So CNN, New York times, all, all the entities you mentioned, but also Oscars, Emmys, uh, maybe the NBA, uh, rotten tomatoes. Yeah. You know, you see Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, it's 24% with the critics, but 88 with the people. Oh, what a shocker. You know, no safe spaces is, I don't know, 44% with the critics and 90% with the people. So, so no, we no longer have to go to, we don't have to find out what the critics have to say on uh, Rotten Tomatoes because it's skewed. Everything is skewed. And whoever wins the Oscar is going to be, you know, oh, he's the he's the black gay teen who's struggling with his sexuality. It's like, okay, I get it. And 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 by the way, when you do that, you are shaking hands with the devil. You really are in terms of your brand. Mm-hmm. The Oscars should have never let all this super woke shit in because once you announce, we now need. people of color nominated for the best actor. It's over. It's over. We stop. We we stop. We go, well, were they the best actors or is they just meeting a quota? By the way, Adam. So they're shooting themselves in the foot. But the best part of it is they decided to put all these quotas in about, you know, skin color and sexuality. And, you know, if you're a midget or you have a lazy eye or whatever, except they said, we're not going to do it for three years. It's so important to solve racism and sexism, but we still have some stuff in the can, so we got to get that racist crap out of the way, and we'll do it. Right. We'll do it in three years. Uh, you mentioned no safe spaces, so I'm, I'm sure most of my audience has seen it already. But when when you think back to the project, because you guys probably you and Dennis and the team probably started working on this thing what like four years ago, maybe something like that. Yeah. When you think mm-hmm. back to the project, I mean, it basically everything, and I'm not just saying it because because we both happen to be in it, but everything that No Safe Spaces is about, which in essence is that all of this woke craziness from the college campus is going to leak into re- into real society. It's what everyone sees now, and we were all told we were racists and bigots and the rest of it for talking about it. Are are you kind of are you like impressed that we kind of called it, or are you depressed that we kind of called it, or just is what it is? Because we called it. Uh, we, we all called it. Now yeah. everyone knows that that is the, the stuff that is happening everywhere right now. Well, first off, how could it not? Yeah. Like, what if what if your kid leaves for college and then every one of their professors is a vegan and then they're teaching classes on meat is murder? Don't tell your chef husband because he makes a delectable Wagyu, I think we have. Is it Wagyu By the way, did I hear correctly on your podcast, I think the day or uh, day or two after you came over here for dinner, I think you said it was the best steak you ever had. 
It was, man. So so kudos to you for uh, living with that day. Hey, I handled the steak. You, you see, I, I was doing the steak. Oh, damn, you're right. I did the you're steak. Right. You were there when I, when I was sorry. flipping it, man. He, yeah, he did I the side. I had a couple of scotches <laughs> at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave, you get <laughs> all credit right, to Dave right. Rubin for doing the, doing the steak, but, um, what the hell were you talking about? And I forgot uh, about that. You send, if you send your kids to these schools and they're being taught by, Oh vegans, yeah. Okay. So everyone's a vegan and meat is murder. Uh, how long before your kids starts coming home for Thanksgiving and saying, uh, no, thanks to the Turkey because meat is murder. And then when those kids in their vegan environment get pushed out into Main Street and Madison Avenue and start showing up at corporations. How long before they start judging people for eating a ham sandwich? And how could it go any other way? Of course, it's going to go that way. I mean, the, you get you go to this place where a bunch of ideology is taught to you, and then the the construct or or at least college is basically there to. I mean, if you think about. What, what is the, what, what is the mission statement for a college? Well, you go to this place for four years, we teach you a bunch of stuff, and then you take that with you into society, right? Well, we just thought it was going to be a bunch of engineering and calculus and, you know, art history. We didn't know it was going to be an indoctrination to a bunch of ideas, but it is. And I would argue those ideas are more powerful than engineering are because you can't just walk into your new job at Kinko's and start talking to everyone about structural engineering or shear loads or tension anchors or something. They're not going to, it's not going to take, but if you start talking to everyone about your ideology, then it's going to spread. And that's exactly where we're living. So how do you make sure your kids, they're not college age yet, uh, but how do you make sure that they're not getting infected with this stuff? Because from everyone that I know that's a parent in this town, even if they're going to the most elite private school, people that are even in religious private schools, I'm talking Catholic schools, uh, Orthodox Jewish schools, like the wokeism has now infected virtually everything. H how do you make sure that stuff doesn't get through to your kids? Well, I don't give a shit. I'll be in Houston yeah. by the time that <laughs> to college. Remember the plan? Uh, you know, the, I don't think, see, I don't think you should wrestle with them over ideas. Um, it's going to have an effect. Um, my son is, um, very conservative. He's a Dave Rubin fan. He's a Dennis Prager fan. He's a Ben Shapiro fan. He, he loves all that stuff. I didn't have to wrestle with him over ideas. My daughter's very progressive. The reason my daughter's very progressive is because she wants to be liked. And my son doesn't really care. He's just a doofus dude. But my daughter wants to be popular, you know? And if you want to be popular, you better be down with Black Lives Matter. Um, my feeling with kids is you shouldn't really get preachy with them, but you definitely need to lead by example. Like you just go, here's who, what I do. Like almost every time I go to work, I just go, I'm going to work today. Cause I, that's what I do. And I would do things like when I would go out on a Friday night to the comedy store and do a set, I would go to my son I would go to my daughter and I'd go, okay, it's eight o'clock and I'm going to, from a uh, lock and yada to uh, Hollywood, the sunset strip. And I'm going to go there and I'll be back at 11 and I'm not getting paid. 
I'm doing this for free. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this to get better at what I do. That's what I'm doing. And I would leave. And I just would imprint in them that there's no shortcuts. It's hard work. Lead by example. And, you know, I don't know that you're, you're going to be able to talk them. I don't think you can talk them out of anything. You can show them who you are and how you live. Is that, is that tough for your daughter? Uh, because you are you? Like your daughter's friends must know who you are. You talk about this stuff. Has, has that been an issue? No, my daughter, I was just out, uh, took her and her friends out driving the other, the other night. Um, they understand who I am on a sort of human level. They understand I'm a good guy. They understand I'm like a fun dad and I, I provide a lot of stuff and we get to do lots of fun stuff because of me. And, you know, I'm sure if we ever sat down and really got into a political conversation it would end in a huge argument as my son and my daughter frequently do. But, um, no, I, I think it's important, and, and I feel this way about relationships that I've had in Hollywood. Uh, they need to know who you are. They need to know that you're a good person, that you're family-oriented, that you pay your taxes. Like They need to understand, because we all know it's just a big smear campaign, right? Racist, sexist, whether you disagree with someone on the left, then it's because you're homophobic or xenophobic or, or whatever, misogynistic. Uh, it's hard. It's really harder when they have to argue with a human being, you know, when, when, when the conceit is that's a good person, he loves his family and he's a good citizen. And now we're just left with what we agree and disagree on, you know? So I think you can sort of have that with your kids. Like, I, I really feel like they need to, res you can't tell them don't smoke while you're smoking. Right. You know what I mean? You have to kind of lead by example and that's kind of, my approach. So kind of tying that to the, to the political part of it, I mean, we don't have much of that. We're, we're being told right now, if you listen to the, the media and the Biden thing, like now is the time for us to come together. No more of the meanness. I'm a president for everybody, all that stuff. It, it strikes me as very fake because all of these people, the media, all the, the Democrats, basically the establishment, if Trump had won, and by the way, I'm still not convinced this thing is over, but which I'd love to hear your thoughts on as well. But if it was reversed, if Trump had just won on November 3rd, they'd all be screaming, burn it all down. But now there's sort of this fake, like, oh, let's kind of be friends thing. Do you think right. there's any authenticity there? Any, any, or even any value to it? It doesn't seem valuable to me. Like, oh, you got what you want. You're the child who got the cookie. So now we can be friends again. But if it had gone the other way, no, 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 no. I do think there's way too much. And a lot of it was just a way to attack Trump. It's like, he sets the tempo for the country, you know, like people rely, you know, like it's like when, you know, it's like he told everyone to inject bleach into their veins. <laughs> people listened to him like who injected bleach, who drank bleach. I know a couple of people I wish I'd drank bleach, but nobody right. actually did it. Who did all these things? Like, well, when he says things, you have to understand that so many people is like, ah, I don't know. Do we really take our sort of cues from a etiquette standpoint from the president? I think the conceit. So what's going on now is they created the left created so much chaos around Trump. And so now their thing was like, don't you just want it to end? Don't you just mm -hmm. want the chaos in? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost like somebody broke into your house. 
let five macaw parrots go inside and then was yelling at you, don't you want this to end? <laughs> and you're like, I do, but why did you break into my house and let five macaw parrots loose? And they go, you want it to end, right? I want it to end. It's like, okay, but you're the one who let the parrots out. And then at some point, the, the second part of the narrative has to be, well, now that that's over, let's preach unity. But it's it's never going to manifest itself in any real way, and it already hasn't. And I think it's all lip service. So, so do you think we're irreparably broken right now? Like, I don't know anyone, truly, I don't think I know anyone that supported Trump that fully thinks that this thing was legit. And if that's the case, regardless of who's sworn in on the on the 20th, I mean, we've got like a seriously broken system even even me like my faith in the system is seriously broken right now which makes it hard in a way to to be someone that communicates ideas the way that we do because i'm trying to be honest with my audience and my faith in the things that we talk about is is shaken well i think in terms of how it manifests itself and maybe this just sounds um you know self-congratulatory or something but if you take a look at the physical manifestation of, of unrest, you know, and you take a look at Antifa and Black Lives Matters and all that kind of stuff, they're out in the street, they're lighting stuff on fire, they're looting, they're, they're accosting elderly couples that are eating outside and drinking their wine and dumping it on their head and everything. That's basically how they act when they don't get their way. Um, the right and the conservatives don't act that way when they don't get their way. They're probably equally as unhappy about mm -hmm. it, but they, it doesn't really manifest. And all the assholes are like, well, what about the Klan? Or what about the Proud Boys? Okay, there's 10 of them. Like, when's the last time we saw the Klan take over a city and have the cops stand down and burn everything down and loot everything? I think what, I, mean, I, think I watched the... Uh, Time to Kill. I think that was when it was. I think yeah. 1993. And it was a movie right. about 40 years before that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I think that the conservatives who, you know, by nature, just more, they're more conservative. They're not as impulsive. You know, they're not going to go out and start burning things. I think they're going to be unhappy. <clears throat> they're going to feel like they got jobbed in this last election they're probably going to sit back and laugh a little as the Democrats start with the infighting and the AOC side of it starts getting into it with the Biden side of it. And they're going to watch them kind of crash and burn. And then it's going to be real easy to get a Dan Crenshaw type in mm -hmm. again, or you know, there's a host of, you know, strong candidates on the right. And it'll just set the table to repeat what just happened four years ago. Do you think it's kind of funny that maybe 15 years ago when you were doing Love Lines and doing uh, The Man Show and everything else, that you, you would end up talking about politics as much as you do? I know you talk about everything, but like everything is now politics in a weird way. Do you think it's kind of odd? You know, I never really think about it. I always wanted to kind of do something a little different than I did the year before and kind of evolve a little bit. Um, also, there's an interesting phenomenon, which is when people say you've changed, you know, to me, you know, I say to them, name me one thing that I've changed my mind on since I was on Loveline 
25 years ago. You name me one thing. If you'd asked me about border security, I would have been for it. If you'd asked me about gay marriage, I would have been for it. If you would have asked me about, you know, decriminalizing pot, I would have been for it. If you would ask me about voter ID, I would have been for it. I would have, if you asked me about lowering taxes, I would have been the, for it. And that is the worst Lee, episode of Love Lines I ever heard. <laughs> it's super boring for the 14-year-olds. But <laughs> I have not changed my opinion on anything. That's the way. But it wasn't considered political then. You weren't considered political. Now everything gets pushed through this sort of prism of of politics. I, I still don't look at myself as uh, political. I look yeah, at myself yeah. as giving my opinions. Like when you go, should you present an ID when you vote? I go, well, all right, do you need an ID to buy a pack of cigarettes or to get on an airplane? Yes. Okay. Then you need an ID to vote. Okay. So you're this political person, right? And it's like, no, that's just my opinion on that. But on the other side of the aisle, I'm all for gay marriage and I don't feel that's political either. I don't, I don't feel like it's, I, I know it gets seen through the prism of something political. I don't feel it's political. I feel like you're asking me, should we have a strong border? And I go, yes. And that's, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at with everything. That just means you're racist, not political. No, right. That's right. All right, let's talk about something really political then, because how, how many books have you written? Is it is it four? Five. Or I feel like it's pro it's five. You've written five books, and as far as I know, according to my research here, three of your books have made the New York Times bestseller list, but your last book, Adam Carolla, did not make it. Mm -hmm. But we know that the New York Times bestseller list is a crock of shit. Yes. How does it make you feel to not make a list that we know? I mean, I know you know the, the internal numbers. You obviously sh probably should have been number two or something the week that you came out. D does that stuff bother you anymore or do you just like, it is what it is? Yeah, I'm kind of, it is what it is. It's, it's kind of weird when you see that you outsold a bunch of books that are on the list. And when you look at the title of the book, you know, all something to do with race, all something to do with gender, all something to whatever, um, then you understand. And it's a little frustrating momentarily because you go, oh, we should be on the New York Times bestseller list. But you also, in a, a good example of somebody who's diluted their brand, they've, they've, they've compromised yeah. their yeah. brand. New York Times bestseller list, Oscars, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you know, it, it, they've diluted it. They're hurt. They're hurting their brand. It doesn't, if I now hear a book is on the New York times bestseller list, or more importantly, didn't make it on the New York times bestseller list. I got questions. I never would have had questions 15 years ago, which has been, well, that one book sold more than the other book. That would have been right. it. Zero questions. Now I have questions and, and that's what they've done. And I don't think they know the kind of long-term damage that they're doing to their brand. Again, New York Times bestseller list, that's a huge brand. Oscars, huge brand. But if it was a stock, you would see the arrow heading down over the last 10 years. You know, it was funny, when, when my book was coming out in April and everybody kept, you know, all the publishers, agents, everybody, oh, we're getting, we wanna get you on the New York Times bestseller list, we want you on the New York Times bestseller list. And I kept saying to everybody, but you're all telling me it's fixed, that the whole thing's fixed. But you wanna get on it, you wanna get on the fixed list. And it's like, right. we're, all, we're all running for something that kind of doesn't exist in a weird way. And I thought, well, if, that, if, they, if they mess with their 
with their lists that should be about just sales, right? A sale, you know, the top list. It's like, well, it kind of tells you what they're doing on the editorial pages as well, or on the oh. news pages as well. Oh, for sure. And uh, again, you know, the part, the only part that frustrates me, and, you know, you're, you're talking to a guy who's made a bunch of movies that were very well received and none of them have gotten into Sundance, none of them. And the, you know, again, if you look at the people on Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see a hundred percent, 95%, very good doc. I mean, I have three of these docs on Netflix right now. Netflix bought all three of these documentaries, certainly good enough to make the cut at Sundance. None of them will get, have gotten into Sundance and nor shall any doc I ever make get into Sundance. And the part that frustrates me, whether it be getting into Sundance or the New York times bestseller list is that people don't know what's going on. Yeah. The people, yeah. general societies like, well, if you didn't get into Sundance, make a better film next time. You don't get it. There is no Sundance for me. There is no New York times bestseller list for me. There is none of that for me that they shall, it's never going to happen. And you guys think it's about the quality of the product. I can hear my audience screaming. So Corolla, why don't you conservatives build different institutions? Why isn't there the Corolla film festival? Why isn't there the La Cunada film festival? (laughs) Well, there's going to be, and you know, parlor and places like that. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, if you take a look, you know, it was funny about two years ago, if you looked at the uh, iTunes charts, one through 50, there was no conservative shows, podcasts on there, maybe Shapiro, but I mean, really nothing else. You go look now, there's 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They created that. They, they actually, the mainstream media and all these places, were the, they're the best thing that ever happened to Dan Bongino, right? Yeah. Or Charlie Kirk or whomever, yeah. right? Yeah. They created their business through trying to suppress all these ideas. And so there, there will be a new New York times bestseller list or a new, you know, Sundance or whatever, or the whole thing will just be antiquated and no one will care anymore. Like who cares if you've gotten to this film festival or not, is the film good or not? And where can I find it? Right. It'll probably be, can you, Adam Carolla, get to your audience somehow? And if you get mm-hmm. your stuff to enough of your audience, then, then that's probably good enough. That's probably it. So as we enter the final stages, the final last few days of this 2020, and we roll into Christmas, what else is on your mind at the moment? Like, what, what else are you thinking about that, you know, not, not this sort of day-to-day stuff that we're talking about in the political ends. Like, what else has just been sort of interesting to you lately? I've been really kind of drilling down and, and speaking to Dr. Drew quite frequently about people's reaction to this pandemic and what colossal cowards uh, so many people have turned into and why, why, why so fertile, why is this soil so fertile for these cowards and what's really going on? And something I've really been thinking about is risk and then risk assessment. And I started to think about all the guys I work with, and I work with a lot of guys restoring cars and building houses, doing so. Half my life is creative and the other half is kind of blue collar. And 
I noticed that the blue collar guys were always very even. They're not worried about it. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever discussed COVID with any of the guys in my shop. They're literally <laughs> not interested. They just get up and go to work. And then I started thinking about their relationship with risk is, is very finely tuned because if you're going to fire up a lathe and put a ingot of aluminum on it, you got to start taking a, a sharp knife to it, uh, chisel to it or something. You better have your relationship figured out with danger and also what, what things. So when you work construction, you work carpentry, you have to pick up a tool and the tool's got a blade on it and you got to use it, but you have to use it in such a way where you're safe, but you still have to get the job done. And so there's a constant calibration going on, like, because you're going to lose a finger or you're going to lose an arm or you're going to lose your life. If you don't really get this relationship worked out with danger. So I don't think loggers are nearly as scared of COVID as guys who do data entry. Because when you then get into this air conditioned cubicle, you no longer have to assess risk. You don't mm -hmm. have, you know, if you're a window washer or a roofer or whatever, like if you do what we used to do when, uh, when a huge percentage of society would go to a factory or go to the sawmill or go to the lumber yard or do whatever it is, these sort of blue collar, tangible, hands-on jobs, it's constant risk assessment. It's just can this scaffolding hold me? Cause I'm going up to the third floor. It's just, it's a constant thing. And you're not aware of it. It's just, your brain is constantly wearing. So when you see COVID, those guys have assessed the risk and it's minimal. All the people that are sitting around watching CNN all day on a zoom call are not calibrated. So they're all, they're all inflated. And the more of our society that kind of gets off the construction site and gets off, you know, think about, Think about when you work on a farm, every second is some sort of risk assessment, right? <clears throat> All the equipment you're dealing with and whatnot. The more of our society that moves into the digital world, th the more difficulty we're going to have assessing risk. And that's what we're living right now. Then on that note, bring us home with some hopeful stuff. For 21, for 20, 2121, I was going to say, for 2020, for, give me something for 2121. Do we still exist or give me something for 2021? Anyone listening, you cannot just uh, reside in the digital world. You will go insane. You will lose your bearings. You must get something tangible in your life. I don't care if it's gardening. I don't care if it's crocheting. Get down to the garage and start a project put a patio, put a pergola on your home. You have a beautiful pergola in the back of your home, Dave, go thank out you, there, physically get your hands dirty. If you're just going to go down the, I'm going to watch CNN and order Grubhub all day. You will go insane and you see it all over the place. You see these middle-aged people like spazzing out on other people who aren't wearing a mask, walking alone on a horse trail. <laughs> they can't assess risk. It's yeah. the death of math. You need to put yourself in some vulnerable positions. If something scares you a little bit, you got to go do it. Go, go out whitewater rafting or something. You have to get outside. You have to get in a tangible world and you have to have projects. And by the way, 
once you have a project, like a tangible project, then you're in problem solving mode. Your brain is occupied. You're not thinking about global warming. You're not thinking, you're trying to solve problems on a micro level, not a macro level. Trying to solve world hunger or systemic racism or global warming, you will slowly go insane because you can, you, there's no finish line. You'll never solve it. You'll just be preoccupied, preoccupied with it. Corolla, all I had to do was loft it up. You, you took care of the rest. Merry Christmas, my friend. I'm, I'm glad you're at least temporarily staying in LA. And because then I thought, oh God, am I going to have to move to Houston? And it's so humid. And you know, yes. the hair would be so flat there. You know, you've got that nice curly hair. It doesn't really matter. But well, for me, it would just. Yeah. But well, I guess for you, it would do this. Yes, I'd go out like the hair bear bunch. If yeah. uh, you're planning on, uh, you know, broiling some more meat, uh, definitely uh, shoot me a text, man, because I will be there. There will be meat. And by the way, you mentioned my rooftop before. We just put up four three-foot by four-foot planters. So we're doing a little gardening. So nice. I'm, I'm, I'm living the, the Corolla lifestyle up, up over here. And actually, Thanks. I do have a couple of stucco things I need you to fix. So I'll, I'll text you after this. I'll bring my sponge trial. <laughs> All right. See you, Adam. Thanks, Dave.